Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Annals of Surgery and Behind the Knife Journal Club. We're lucky today to have Dr. Mark Besselink here with us to discuss the leopard and the diploma uh, studies from Annals of Surgery. Dr. Besselink is Professor of Pancreatic and Hepatobiliary Surgery at the Academic Medical Center and Cancer Center of Amsterdam at the University of Amsterdam. He was trained at Utrecht University and the University of Oxford. He did his fellowship at the um, at AMC Amsterdam and Southampton University Hospital and his special clinical specialties in minimally invasive hepatopancreatic biliary surgery. He's the co-founder of the Dutch Pancreatitis Study Group and the Dutch Pancreatic Cancer Study Group. He's, and he's been uh, a major leader in uh, the teaching and dissemination of minimally invasive pancreatic surgery um, today um, across Europe and, and worldwide. So we're very happy to have him. We are discussing two studies today that will be published um, in conjunction um, on in Annals of Surgery, uh, both relating to the topic of minimally invasive pancreatic surgery. So the first study is the diploma study. It's a study of minimally invasive versus open distal pancreatectomy for malignant disease. It was an observational study that used propensity score matching, and it compared uh, perioperative and oncologic outcomes. And there, uh, there's a randomized control study ongoing to sort of follow up on this. Briefly, what they found was that minimally invasive uh, distal pancreatectomy had one day lower length of stay than uh, the patients in the open surgery group. Their rates of complications were roughly equivalent. Uh, they didn't study technical outcomes like delayed gastric emptying or um, pancreatic fistula, but they did look closely at oncologic outcomes. And they found that uh, the, the minimally invasive pancre pancre distal pancreatectomy patients had a higher rate of R0 resection but lower lymph node retrieval and lower rates of resection of Gerota's fascia, both of which are thought to be important in uh, the oncologic adequacy of a distal pancreatectomy. However, uh, in their time frame, they had statistically equivalent overall survival at um, about 28 to 31 months. Um, at baseline, it's worth noting that the patients selected for the laparoscopic or robotic approach, they had less advanced disease, um, fewer organs involved, and they were less likely to have had neoadjuvant therapy. The team adjusted for these characteristics using propensity score matching, but based on the tables, and, and Dr. Besseling can attest to this further, it seemed like the, the tumors were still a little bit less aggress aggressive and less invasive than this group. So we're going to look at this study um, in conjunction with the LEOPARD study, which is a randomized controlled trial now uh, on minimally invasive and open distal pancreatectomy for any kind of disease, benign or malignant. This was blinded to patients, but not to the surgeons, and this is a com comparison of perioperative outcomes. And it followed a nationwide training program um, and an, uh, conducted across the Netherlands, and uh, everyone was uh, managed under an enhanced recovery pathway. They also found a longer operative time and lower uh, blood loss in the minimally invasive surgery group, but they did also note a two-day uh, improvement in length of stay and functional recovery. The rates of perioperative complications, including ICU admissions, infections, readmissions, and deaths were equivalent amongst the two groups. But the minimally invasive surgery group had improved quality of life scores at zero to 30 days that essentially washed out at 90 days. Secondary outcomes like um, delayed gastric emptying uh, and oncologic adequacy, this, the sample size, which is about um, 100 and um, was just around 100, was a little, was a, might have been a little bit too low to look at these functional outcomes like delayed gastric emptying, 
but they did see a slightly lower uh, rate of delayed gastric emptying in the minimally invasive surgery group and a possibly higher um, rate of pancreatic fistula that trended towards statistical significance. It was 39% versus 23%. They had equivalent rates of R0 resection and node retrieval, and the costs were equivalent. So uh, with that summary in mind, Dr. Besselink, do you have any uh, clarifications or additions to add? Uh, no, not so. So uh, importantly, that uh, the, the leopard trial was done basically in the patients where there was no concern that the operation could be done minimally invasively. So the smallest tumors away from the vessels and, and the diploma was just sort of hypothesis generating just a retrospective study, seeing what is currently being done and then deciding on how to move forward, as you already said, with a trial specifically for pancreatic cancer. Right, so what was the, the motivation for these studies? Well, <clears throat> uh, I think time has come now that as in upper GI and in colorectal surgery, we're now also moving into minimally invasive surgery in HPV. And of course, uh, for that, there have been numerous studies, but clearly they will have, by definition, a large selection bias for the minimally invasive patients. So um, after... We had trained all surgeons in the Netherlands because we saw that um, distal pancreatectomy was only done in one in 10 cases minimally invasively. So after we had trained the surgeons, we thought time has come to do a randomized trial um, in order to, to see whether minimally invasive distal pancreatectomy is truly the preferred approach. So, sir, uh, we're just wondering, you know, how you think that people or how you would recommend people look at this data. Is this practice changing? Is this still more work needs to be done? When you look at the data, as you know it, how is it going to change your practice and how should it change our practice? Yeah, so I think this trial is really practice changing. So there are a few things you need to know. So most importantly, in my mind, these were surgeons that had just been trained in the months and maximum the year before we started the trial. So as you see, there's actually 14 centers and only 108 patients. And, and so it tells you in just less than, just short of two years. So th this is not a single center trial in a center that does 100 distals and has been doing so for 10 years, minimally basically. This is just real clinical practice, multi-center. We trained the surgeons and then immediately thereafter we did the trial. So I think that is really important when, when looking at these data and at these outcomes. And that's why I think um, if you look at the outcome, which is clearly superior for minimally invasive without any safety concern, uh, this could potentially really be a practice-changing trial. Now, what about for malignant disease? Is there any concern for, or are you concerned for inadequate resection? Yeah, so of course, as I mentioned, so the lab trial, we, with the criteria we used, so which were the Yensai criteria, meaning these cancers should be uh, like five to 10 millimeter away from the celiac trunk and the portal vein. And they should be inside the pancreas, not growing into other organs. So we clearly selected the easiest tumors and the smallest cancers. So this trial definitely does not give a definitive answer for, for pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. So that definitely 
For that, we need to await the uh, diploma trial. And in the diploma trial, do you think that the uh, the observational retrospective findings do they think think that they suggest that um, there's still room to improve in, in minimally invasive surgery, or that it's still maybe not the best procedure for uh, malignant disease? Yeah. So if you look at the sort of diploma study we are now talking about, published in Annals of Surgery, you, you see some strange findings there. So first of all, after matching, as you said, there were still some slight discrepancies between the groups, but I think with coming from a data set of 1,212 patients, this is as, as good as we can do. We found that the R0 resection rate was 9% better, but um, Gerota's fascia was only resected in less than one of three patients, minimally invasive, versus 60% open. And eight lymph nodes were less retrieved with minimally invasive. So there's a strange contradiction there. So uh, I think we really can't tell. So we just need to be sure. So that's why we are now doing the randomized trial to see whether the oncologic outcomes are actually non-inferior with minimally invasive. We, we are not trying to show that minimally invasive is superior for oncology. Could you tell us more about the, the training program and, and how these two studies fit in with that uh, educational intervention? Yeah, so the training program was only in the Netherlands. So that only applies to the leopard trial. For the diploma, which is a pan-European project, we basically uh, did it the other way around and only selected the high-volume centers who already had sufficient experience uh, with this procedure uh, for the trial. So uh, for for this study, there also most centers are larger volume, but there was no really strict entry criterion to participate in, in this study. Is there a learning curve for this? And, and what do you think that learning curve is? Yeah, so there definitely is a learning curve for this. So we did not study that in detail enough. Uh, I think, first of all, in pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma patients and patients with pancreatitis should be the last that should be done in the learning curve. Those are the most difficult ones. Uh, as you can see from the from the leopard trial, which I think is is quite special because the the training program was actually also published in Annals of Surgery last year uh, with the same first author, De Roy. And in that, you can clearly see you can see the volume of the centers. You can see how many distals they had done. So it, it's probably going to be so the learning curve for distals is probably going to be somewhere around twenty for the first learning curve. So that's not the proficiency curve. And probably the, the proficiency curve will be somewhere between 40 and 80 cases until you, lead, you reach your optimum um, results per surgeon. Do you think that there's a different learning curve for, um, you know, safety and for, um, you know, technical complications? Do you think that learning curve is different from the learning curve for oncologic adequacy? Yeah, so actually for for oncologic adequacy, we, we have no data at all, but clearly we we expect that that is a more challenging procedure, as, as everyone would expect. In, in the two surveys we did, one in Europe and one worldwide, we saw that about uh, one in three surgeons worries about the um, oncologic uh, efficacy of minimally invasive, and actually one in five thought cancer was a contraindication to do a minimally invasive distal. Which, if you think about it, is a bit strange because for esophageal 
gastric cancer, colorectal cancer, that's all being done minimally invasively. So, but we do need to prove it before we can, can be certain. And so in your practice now, will you be doing both uh, malignant and benign um, pancreat, distal pancreatectomies in a minimally invasive way? So after the leopard trial uh, for non-pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, the minimally invasive approach is our standard. And for cancer patients, we now only offer a minimally invasive distal pancreatectomy as part of the, the, of the diploma trial. Outside the diploma trial, we only perform it open. Now, how do you, when you're, can you tell us a little bit about what you say to patients? Like, how do you explain it to them? You know, what are the big drawbacks? What are the risks? Um, how do you, how do you counsel the patients if you're thinking about including them in the trial? Yeah. So first of all, I, I tell the patients that um, overall, so distal pancreatectomy as a procedure, apart from, from the disease, pancreatic cancer, overall, we did, we performed the leopard trial showing no safety risks but faster recovery with minimally invasive. So that's a benefit to the patient and that we would like to extend that benefit to patients with pancreatic cancer. And that's, we did the retrospective study showing that the chance of removing the, the tumor uh, radically seemed to be better with minimally invasive, but on the other hand, uh, the amount of lymph nodes retrieved was less. So that, that we are uncertain that the uh, procedure would be done by in my center, me, and I would tell them the, the amount of procedures that I would have done laparoscopically or minimally invasively, and that we expect that minimally invasive will also be uh, the procedure of choice for the future for pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, but that there is uncertainty, and that's why we are doing the randomized trial, uh, that outside the trial, the procedures will only be done open. Now, back to the, the diploma study, uh, that one took place between 2007 and 2015, whereas the leopard study took place after your training program in, in 2015 to 2017. So if we repeated the, the diploma study in the present day, after presumably more surgeons have had more experience with it and, and gotten farther along in the learning curve, do you think that the oncologic outcomes of a minimally invasive distal pancreatectomy would still be worse? And is it possible to, to institute a training program focused on the oncologic adequacy um, in, in distal pancreatectomy. Yeah. So first, your question, whether outcomes would be better if we would do the retrospective diploma study today? Uh, we don't know. I mean, uh, the R0 rate was better with minimally invasive, but clearly experience will have increased by now. So we really can't tell. Before we started with the diploma trial, we had six meetings with all these centers from across Europe to really go into detail uh, on the surgical technique. And it turned out that many surgeons did not think resecting gerota uh, should be done routinely in pancreatic cancer. They would look at the location of the cancer within the pancreas. But after long discussions as a group, we unanimously agreed that gerota should be resected. So, but this does tell you that this difference may not be a technically, it may not be a technical difference that the surgeons were not able to do it minimally invasively, they were also not doing it uh, in these centers open. So one of the, the centers that did uh, basically most of the minimally invasive pistols for cancer and never removed, uh, almost never removed Gerota. So, so now we have standardized the technique and experience has increased. So I definitely would be more confident, but we still can't be sure. So we have to wait for the trial results. 
another question was about sort of the short-term technical outcomes like the delayed gastric emptying and, and pancreatic fistula. Um, why were those excluded from the observational uh, diploma study? Yeah, so so this is a, a, a retrospective study, uh, the diploma study, and you're talking about 34 centers in 11 countries uh, spanning eight years. So uh, the definition changed according to the during that time, and I mean in a retrospective study. Uh, Scoring delayed gastric emptying and pancreatic fistula across Europe in 34 centers, I would I would be in doubt whether these data would be accurate. And as for pathology, that is of course the fact that pathology was scored unanimously can also be disputed, of course. But at least then you can go to the pathologist's report and you have the feeling that data will be more accurate. But still, of course, there will also be discrepancies there. I see. And what, what will be the primary endpoints of the diploma randomized controlled trial? And will it be powered to detect uh, survival differences? No, absolutely not. Because for survival differences, you would need an basically infinite, uh, infinite amount of patients. So it is powered uh, for non-inferiority for R0 resection. So we only want to show that the R0 rate is not worse with minimally evasive. One thing I think we often overlook talking about is this, the statistical methods chosen for a particular study. Now, for the diploma, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, the propensity matching, um, how you decided to use that, uh, what you thought the differences or why were there differences between the groups? Um, and even after propensity matching, um, why you think that there were still some uh, some differences between the groups? Yeah, that's a good point. So there are basically two ways you can do the though there are numerous ways, but two main strategies when you do propensity matching. So so we think and, and most authors think that you should only match on factors that are that you know preoperatively, right? Because that is where mm -hmm. decision making was done for minimally invasive or open. Others say, well, when you're interested in say our zero resection, you could also take all all kinds of post-operative factors into account. So then, so just basically to tell you that all differences could be matched away, if you like, right? So all variables yeah. could, could be made equal, but that would not be in my mind, our mind, the proper thing to do. The proper thing to do is only use variables that are that we know pre-operatively. So then that's what we did. And then the fact that we do find Differences probably tells you that there are still variables that we did not have that we did not use uh, in our analysis. So, so in the end, it, it really does come down to the fact that you do need a randomized trial to be hundred percent sure. Right. Okay. Excellent. Um, and the other thing we wanted to talk about was robotic distal pancreatectomy. So, you know, these studies weren't you know powered enough to really assess robotics, you know, versus laparoscopic. But in your opinion, what do you think the role of robotic pancreatectomy is, and where are the advantages and disadvantages? Yeah. So, so also for the for the robot, we have a training program uh, actually ongoing in, in collaboration with the, the Pittsburgh group in the Netherlands, um, and the data so far. Uh, suggests some benefits for robot, but mainly for a lower conversion rate. I think um, for distal pancreatectomy, we will need to see more data, but the expectation for, for most of the surgeons who can do both robot and laparoscopic distal pancreatectomy is that benefits there will be 
either negligible or only present for the most difficult cases, say near the major vessels or requiring a multifissural resection. So, so there may be some benefits for conversion rates and for tumors near major vessels, one. And two, obviously, if a surgeon is not, not trained to do it laparoscopically, he will probably go quicker through the learning curve with a robot than by having to be trained fully laparoscopic first. I see. And so it, could you tell us a little bit about the where robotic uh, surgery stands in, in the Netherlands and how widespread its use is generally? Yeah. So um, we have 17 pancreatic centers in the Netherlands. Uh, as of today, 12 of the 17 have a robot, um, but only four have been uh, have been doing more than uh, 50 robotic procedures in the past two years or so. So it is just up and coming in the, in the, in in recent years. So in the last one to two years, so we will really probably see see a change there. Uh, but mostly for Whipple, for distal, it's uh, it's rarely it, it's it's used much less. Okay, so to, to step back a little bit, I've always been really amazed by the uh, level and quality of uh, evidence from uh, uh, surgical uh, randomized trials in the, Nether the Netherlands, from the APAC trial on appendicitis to, to the leopard trial and everything that you're doing. It seems like the Netherlands are the source of many of our uh, randomized controlled trial evidence in surgery. Do you, can you speculate as to why that might be the case? And is there something unique about the culture there or the way um, you know, your centers talk to each other and how, how do you manage to make this happen? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, there, there are a few factors. One is, of course, is a tiny country. It's, it's the size of Maryland. Um, if you stand on top of one university medical center, you can basically always see the other. <laughs> so, the, the, so, that's, so you can have just easily a trial meeting in the evening and after work and, be, and, and then be home by 11 uh, to, to start the next day. So it's very easy to communicate. Um, these centers are are uh, not so big that we can do trials by our, by our own. So we, if we want to do a trial, we basically must do it together. Uh, but there is also really a feeling. Basically, we work in these groups, and people know that he or she will always their time their time their turn will come. So everyone will do a trial at some point. So you help me and I help you. Um, and then we have PhD students uh, who do three years clinical research only. So they will basically never see a lab. They will only do clinical trials and clinical studies. So and, and, and these are the people who do the bulk of the work. They are the first authors of all Dutch papers you basically will read. So that, that, that is basically it. So a center, so a country, few, short distances, great collaboration between centers and a system of clinical PhD students who spend 100% of their time doing clinical studies. Well, we, we certainly have a lot to learn from, from that culture and that system um, here in the U.S. And it is just as well, um, all that you're doing in minimally invasive pancreatic surgery and, and, and uh, pancreatitis is, is uh, fantastic for us to learn from. So uh, thank you, Dr. Besseling, for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to uh, sharing your studies with the rest of our listeners. Okay. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. 
where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. 